0: Welcome to episode 68 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I have never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today's going to be a fun one. Every guest is so unique, and today's guest is got a totally different background than anybody else I've talked to in the previous 67 episodes. His name is Jordan Rayner. He is the author of a brand new book called The Master of One, an incredible book helping you find your passion, helping you find your purpose, and helping you find who you were created to be. But what I love about Jordan is he's more than an author. He's a serial entrepreneur. He has had the The uh, distinction of bringing businesses that were not in existence into existence, selling them off and beginning another one. He's currently uh, the executive chairman of Threshold 360. It's a venture-based back tech startup that's built the world's largest library of 360 degree experiences of hotels, restaurants, and attractions. And he is just a fascinating, fascinating guy. You're going to love his knowledge of business. You're going to love his knowledge of startups. You are going to love his new book, The Master of One. You're going to want to go out and order it. All the notes uh, will be in our show notes as well. But you're going to love his heart for the Lord. Man, his passion to help you be your very best. He is as good as I've listened to. And you're just going to enjoy His journey. And the core premise of the Master of One is that we best glorify God and love our neighbors as ourselves when we find, focus on, and master the work we were created to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to grab something to write with, something to type on, and I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my time with Jordan Rayner. Jordan, thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you.
1: Uh, The honor is all mine, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, you have quite a background where you
0: (laughs) are today and where you come from. Take me back to Jordan growing up. You're you're growing up. Who did you think you would be while you were being molded in life?
1: Man, it's a great question. So I was one of those weird kids in the eighth grade. I thought I knew exactly what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to be. A Republican political operative. So, so, so spoiler alert: that's not what I'm doing today. Yeah, before uh, but you was, turn this podcast <laughs> off. That's right. before you turn the podcast <laughs> off, that's not what I'm doing today. But no, I was. I mean, I was pretty committed to that work. So, uh, all throughout high school, I was even doing internships. College, I was doing internships. I uh, actually spent a semester in George W. Bush's White House in 2006. Uh, And what I realized throughout all of this, uh, including my first job, my really only real job, which was running a uh, countywide campaign down here in Tampa, was what I loved about politics wasn't public policy. It was starting something out of Mm. relatively nothing and winning. And and that is true of political campaigns, but it's also true, as you know, Mike, of startups, right? So um, right after college, I had two job offers on the table. One was to go work for the McCain campaign. The other was to basically be the first CEO of this political tech startup that this guy was running part time. And I chose the latter path. I was like, that sounds way more interesting, way more fun. Uh, We grew that business to a pretty significant uh, revenue clip uh, in a pretty short period. And from then on, I just spent the first 10 years of my career starting and selling a couple of different ventures of my own. Uh, And then most recently, for the last two and a half years, uh, I was serving as the CEO of a pretty well-financed tech startup down here in Tampa, where I'm based. Uh, called Threshold 360, where we have built the world's largest library of interior 360 media uh, of hotels, restaurants, shops, attractions. We've done it at about 200,000 locations in 19 different countries. Um, yeah, so that's that's my story, which obviously doesn't make sense with the work I'm doing today. We could talk about that if you want, but that that's the backstory.
0: I love I love that. So what was it about creating that triggered something in you? And I know you've written a book about that as well. Yeah. What was it about that whole world of not just taking something that's there, polishing it, making it better and driving it down the field, but taking something out of nothing? What do you think God put inside you that triggered
1: why well, I don't I didn't I certainly didn't recognize it earlier in my career, but about five years ago, I started to recognize that that thing was his image, right? Hmm. Like, I I believe that I, I think you could make a pretty compelling argument that God Himself was the first entrepreneur. If you That's define right. entrepreneurship as going from zero to one, as bringing something out of nothing, as establishing order out of chaos, as taking risks, uh to create new things for the good of others. I believe that's what Genesis one is all about. You know, we talk a lot about God being loving and holy and just and omnipotent, and we should. These are wonderful characteristics of the God that we serve, of Yahweh. But the first thing He tells about, tells us about Himself in Genesis, is that He creates, that He brings things to life out of relatively nothing. And so, um, for me, when I'm doing that, when I'm doing that work, I just feel God's pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. it's because we are all created uh, in the image of the creator God, and we all have some uh, part of that DNA in us that just compels us to make things, uh, not primarily for our own fame and fortune, right, right. but in service of others. God didn't have to create us. He created out of love to share the perfect love the Trinity had been experiencing for eternity with us. When we create... That should be our motivation as well, sharing uh, what we have with the world in service of others.
0: So where did the spiritual journey begin for you that you were able to recognize that? Where did that start?
1: Yeah, so um, I, you know, I, I started following Jesus at a pretty early age, but I didn't make the connection between my faith and my work until about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had sold my second company, was trying to figure out what I was going to do next in my career. And was pretty sure I wanted to start another venture. I had sold two companies, made a little bit of money from those acquisitions, and uh, was pretty sure I was going to start another one. But then one Sunday morning, uh, I went to my church, and we had a guest preacher there who was uh, basically calling for entrepreneurs to go plant churches all around the world. And I'm sitting there, Mike, and I'm sure many of your parishioners, uh, I'm, I'm sure you at some point are familiar with this feeling, just feeling tremendously guilty that here I am, wanting to go start another business Uh, And make more money and create more jobs rather than moving to a mud hut 5,000 miles away from home (laughs) and serving as a quote unquote, full time missionary, my most hated term in the world. And, uh, and so around this time, I had a mentor in my life who pulled me aside, he knew I was considering planning a church, and he knew I was considering starting another business. He's like, Jordan, this doesn't make any sense to me that you would want to go plant a church. You're passionate about entrepreneurship. You're gifted at the craft. And the Lord has used you in some incredible ways to create wealth and to create jobs and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur outside of the four walls of the church is ministry? And I had no idea what wow. this guy was talking about. No idea. And uh, so he gave me a copy of a book called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller uh, that totally rocked my world. Uh, helped me understand that not only was my work eternally significant, but it might be the primary means of ministry of my life, of how I reveal the character of a working, creative God and love my neighbor as myself. And so that just that just put me on a journey uh, that ended up leading to my first book called The Create, where I profiled how entrepreneurs specifically understand how the Christian faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts their work. And then my book that's coming out uh, here in January, Master of One. So I'm on a mission to help every Christian understand that their work is incredibly significant eternally. Again, a means of revealing the character uh, of a working creative God, of of loving neighbor of self and making disciples of Jesus Christ.
0: That's phenomenal. That, that is a great story. And that is the prayer that we have for everybody. Because number one, if you ever start thinking about planting a church again, call me, I will stop <laughs> you before you do that. All right, I did that 22 Good. years ago. Don't, Good. don't do that. Don't go down that road. But the beauty of God gave you these gifts, and he put you where he put you for a reason bigger than you. And when you get it, changes everything. It is a game. There's a purpose. There's a why, you know, that is, that is the drive. And I love your new book, Master of One. And I know we're coming out right around uh, the launch of this book in January. What was the drive to create this work? What was behind the scenes going on in Jordan's brain going, all right, I got to get this out. Tell me a little bit of the backstory.
1: Yes, this is an incredibly personal book. In, in some ways, it's a bit of an autobiography, right? So uh, my first book called to create came out in 2017, did very well. And basically the core premise of that book is what I just shared, right? That our work is eternally significant and important. And if we believe that... Right? I believe that Christians ought to have the highest standards of excellence in their work. Right, We should want to do, build the most exceptional ventures, write the absolute best books, be the world's greatest athletes. Again, not for our own fame and fortune, because this is a way in which we reveal the character mm-hmm. of an exceptional God. Right, And love neighbor as self. Mediocrity loves nobody. Excellence mm-hmm. loves neighbor as self. And so as I started to think about, OK, well, how do we do that? How do we do our most exceptional? exceptional? exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. The theme that kept coming up over and over again as I studied the question in academic uh, research and business literature and interviews with world-class Christian masters of their crafts was focus, was just intense focus and discipline over time at getting good at one craft. So I'm sure... Everyone listening to this podcast is familiar with the old term. You know, he's a jack of all trades and a master of none. I don't have a problem being a jack of all trades. I think it's kind of the inevitable byproduct of trying a lot of things and finding your quote unquote calling, but I do have a huge problem with being described as a master of none, (laughs) right? To me, that screams mediocrity, right? That screams that I'm not loving the world as well as I possibly could if I double down on something and become really great at it. So there's actually this great story about, uh, supposedly it was Ben Franklin who originally uttered this phrase. And what 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 he actually said, we've misquoted the phrase over time, is be a jack of all trades and a master of one. Find one thing wow. that you're going to go really, really big on and double down on. Uh, and I think that's really good advice. I think it's really biblical advice, right? We are called to work heartily as under the Lord. We are called to work with excellence at all things for the glory of God. And I think the only way to do that is to find that thing that you can be world class at. Uh, not 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 world famous at, but right. world class at in service uh, in service of neighbor. What does
0: excellent look like to you? So if, you, if you're if you in a business and you are working in a cube beside somebody else, a lot of our listeners are, they're driving in this morning, they're going down to Atlanta. I'm sure they're sitting in traffic somewhere. They're headed to their office. They're headed to their school, headed to their team, their coaches. How do you spot excellence? How do you spot somebody that lives that way?
1: I always think about the Supreme Court judgment as they tried to define pornography. Uh, I, I, I I know it. I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Here's the thing. Excellence looks really different from job to job, from vocation to vocation. But I think at our core, we know when we're doing our work exceptionally well or not. I will say this though, right? There's tons and tons of academic literature that shows that uh, you got to spend a long time Uh, practicing, deliberately practicing something in order to do it with any level of mastery. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the 10,000 hour rule that was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell, right? Takes 10,000 hours, not just of any practice, but a purposeful practice to get world-class at something, right? So the point I make in the book is, you know, it's no wonder that we are at an all time high of Jackson Jills of all trades in this country because we're hopping around from job to job right. and career to career every two and a half years on average, right? And listen, I did this too, right? Like I'm pointing the finger at myself. Uh, we've got to get to a place where we can stay committed to something vocationally long enough to get world class at it. And oh, by the way, Academic literature is showing us over and over again that that's actually how you find happiness in your work. That's actually how you find work that you can call a calling is to stick with something long enough to get really great at it. You get to love what you do by getting really good at it.
0: You know, it's fu- it's funny you talk about that because we do live in a society that we say, well, millennials, the, the Gen Y, the, that group, they'll never do that. Do you believe that? Or do you think that's within them to find that calling that's within them and to stick with it.
1: No, I think it is within us. And I'll, I'll say this too. I don't think job hopping is always bad. In fact, I think a lot of times it could be really good. So long as you're hopping and getting really good at the same discipline. So yeah, in the book, yeah. I make this distinction that your one thing might be super specific or it might be really broad. Right. So mm-hmm. a specific one thing, my, my mother in law, right, has spent uh, 30 years as the director of children's music at Idlewild Baptist Church in Tampa, Florida. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's her. That's her one thing. Very, very specific. My one thing I was actually talking to C.S. Lewis's stepson about this a, a few a few months ago. I was asking him, like, hey, what was Jack's one thing? Uh, Was it writing? He's like, no, 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 it's far broader than that. He was a masterful teacher. And he's very conscious of, of, of pursuing mastery of that one thing. And when you view it through that lens of my one thing is broad, like teaching, or for me, my one thing is entrepreneurship. That's pretty broad. That may require you jumping from job to job every couple of years, but you're still practicing the same thing. You're jumping as a means of putting more weight on the bar, right, Uh, and extending yourself and becoming more masterful at your craft. So that type of job hopping, I celebrate, I endorse, but I absolutely believe that millennials can spend 10, 20 years purposefully practicing one vocational thing.
0: That's so good. You know, because that generation that came before us, I know my parents were out of the greatest generation era and, you know, they were the dad at the same company, 46 years, mom at the same bank for 36 years. And that's all you knew. I mean, that's how, that's how I grew up watching that. And then in today's society, it is hard to specialize. It is hard to pigeonhole in because that's not what anybody does. Companies aren't loyal either. And so people find it, find that, you know, that work hard. I love the story you told in the book about Mr. Rogers. You know, Mm -hmm. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers on television and how he found his one thing. Talk Mm -hmm. to everybody about that.
1: Yeah, so I think Mr. Rogers' career started uh, in the same way a lot of our careers start out. He had a ton of different interests. He was a phenomenally talented uh, musician and composer. He also was really interested in early childhood education, uh, and he couldn't. And he he also really loved ministry. I mean, he that's was right. going to go be a, a, a pastor, and so he had a really hard time finding uh, one thing that would combine all these things in a single direction. But that's absolutely what he was searching for. And one day he turned on his parents' television for the first time and saw TV and like instantly got it. He's like, this is how I can bring it all together. So his story is really one of taking all of these things that look disconnected, all of these varied gifts, all of these varied interests, and channel, channeling them into a single focused direction in order to do his most exceptional work. And I mean, without his laser-like focus on Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, millions of kids throughout the United States wouldn't have been blessed uh, by that incredible program. So yeah, his uh, his story was one of my favorites that I tell in the book. I tell the story of yeah. about twenty Christians who are truly world class at their crafts and his uh yeah his was just one of my favorites and the the documentary about him had come out right as I was writing the book and it was just perfect timing I
0: love that phrase I think that he used guided drift yeah talk to me about guided drift that was so so good
1: yeah, so guided drift is was Fred Rogers' preferred term of like referring to finding finding calling, right? And, and it was it is kind of hard to define. I don't know that I could do it justice here, but it's kind of this idea that like, yeah, you're you're drifting about. You're you're letting. Uh, you're letting life kind of happen to your calling and shape your calling, right? But it is guided by something. And for Fred Rogers, it was guided by this deep, deep sense of service, right? Uh, he has this quote, I, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but you don't set out to be rich and famous. You set out to be helpful, Right, I think that's like such good advice for anybody starting out in their career. And so while he wasn't exactly sure what his one thing was going to be, he was guided by this idea that my one thing is not my happiness, primarily. It's not my fortune, primarily. It's service to others and being helpful to others. And that, I think, is is maybe some of the best advice you could give to somebody who's trying to find your one thing. Don't focus primarily on your short-term happiness. Focus on where you could be the most helpful to others, because that it turns out is the only way to find work that you 're going to love over a sustainable period of time
0: that that's so good you know we use we use a little phrase at our church all the time. The greatest sign of spiritual maturity is others because when we can embrace that i mean Jesus said it. You know, love the Lord your God with everything you got and then love your neighbors yourself. When we get that, it really does give us purpose. Did you begin to find that as a common thread as you interviewed some of these great Christian leaders? Was that one of the, the scarlet threads that ran through all their stories?
1: 100%. So there were like two big themes in all these conversations. Uh, one was like this deep sense of humility. And I think that led to the second theme, which was viewing work primarily as service, not primarily as a means of making us happy. You know, I think, so I'm a millennial. Um, I grew up hearing from hearing my parents and pretty much every adult in my life tell me, uh, in terms of career advice, follow your passions, follow your dreams, do whatever makes you happy, right? Above all else, that's just right. find work that's going to make you happy. And these people and my parents included mean well by this advice, but it's really, really bad advice, right? So there's this, uh, there's this professor at Yale, her name's Amy Rezneski, who has spent the last 30 years studying what leads people to describe their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career. And she studied this with doctors, with administrative assistants, with computer programmers, and over and over again, the number one predictor as to whether or not somebody says their work is a calling is not whether or not they were passionate about that vocation before they entered it. It was how long they had spent practicing that particular discipline, right? In other words, we get to love what we do by getting really good at it. You get to love something with this deep sense of vocational satisfaction when you spend years, tens of thousands of hours of purposeful practice, getting great at it in service of others.
0: That's so good. You made a quote in the book, I thought it was so good. You said, we're talking about our society, we're overcommitted, Overwhelmed, overstressed, and spending way too much time focused on the minutia rather than the work we believe that God created us to do—that is a true statement. I think that that really <laughs> tags where so many people live. How do you fix that? How do you how do you reach into American crazy society? Well, I've got to do this, and this is just what I've got to do. How do you reach in and begin to? move the move the needle a little bit on that.
1: Yeah. I think it's committing to less, right? Just con- ruthlessly committing to less in your life, in every aspect of your life. I think this advice applies to relationships, right? For example, like my wife and I, we don't have a lot of friends, but the friends we have, we go really, really deep with, right? We have three or four couples that we hang out with and we pretty much say no to everything else. And that may make me look like a jerk, but like, I don't have time for casual relationships in my life. Like I'm going deep and really big on about four friendships in my life. But I think this also applies to our careers, right? I think we bought this lie that, you know, the key to effectiveness or happiness in our careers is doing a lot of different things and spreading ourselves really thinly across a bunch of different vocational pursuits because in 2019, 2020, we have the ability to do that. I just think that's a lie, right? I, I think we bought this lie that we can do anything we want to do, that we can be do everything we want to do, and that our happiness is the primary purpose of work. These are lies that we need to ruthlessly refute in the church today, right? In order to free us. Uh, to say you know what I am going to commit to less in everything in my life, including my career, because I know that that's the only way that I can do my most exceptional work for the glory of God and for the good of others. Right. So I, I, I think, I yeah, I think that the short answer is you just got to commit to less. That's the yeah. only way. That's the only solution to overwhelm.
0: You, you talk about too, and I thought it was so so good. Jordan, you, you talked about the lost art of apprenticeship, mm, yeah. and how we we have uh, we've lost this art of seeing the masters that are out there and learning from them. Where do you think that began? Where do you think that that trail off? I'm going to go learn from so and so and get them to pour into me, and then I'm going to take it and I'm going to pour in to somebody else. Where do you think that got lost?
1: You know, I don't know, but I think over the last 20 years, especially with the rise of, you know, the democratization of information with the internet, uh, it's just kind of this belief in institutions are crumbling, right? And I think there's a lot of somewhat healthy disdain uh, of institutions and institutional uh, knowledge, I think, um and so I, I think that makes its way into our broader culture and how we think about work. I think we think, Oh, well, I could teach myself how to do anything on YouTube now. Why do That's I right. need to sit at the feet of an, of, of a master in my hometown or wherever uh, to go study these things? But, you know, Uh, We did, me and my team, I had a team researching this book with me. We scoured every piece of academic literature, of business literature, and then, of course, our first-person interviews on what it takes to become masterful at anything vocationally. And there were three keys that kept coming up over and over and over again. One is purposeful practice, right? Two is discipline over time. And third is apprenticeships. This idea kept coming up over and over again. And and listen, I, I mentioned this theme of humility in these interviews, humility kept coming up over and over again throughout every stage of the path to mastery. But I think it's particularly important once you decide this is the one thing I'm going to go big on. So if you're listening, you say, marketing's my one thing. I want to be the best marketer in the world. I want to be a great marketer. Uh, You got to humbly submit yourself to the apprenticeship of somebody who's already masterful at that thing. Now, and that could be, in an indirect apprenticeship where you're watching YouTube videos or you're taking a master class or something like that online. And that's, that's good, but it's clear through all the research we've done that direct apprenticeships are far more valuable where you have a personal relationship with somebody who can get to know you, get to know your specific strengths, your specific weaknesses and coach you through that. Right? So a, a good example from my own life as an entrepreneur You know, an indirect apprenticeship for me, a good example of that are the books I read, right? Right. I read books about Steve Jobs and Walt Disney and Marissa Mayer, right? And I love these people as entrepreneurs and I study them, but they don't know me. They don't know my weaknesses. We're not having, I'm not having conversations uh, with these people about how to get more masterful at my craft. So where I grew the most in my career, my 10 years so far as an entrepreneur is in the two and a half years that I was serving as CEO of Threshold 360 and reporting to a board right, of phenomenally successful entrepreneurs who have sold ventures for multiples billions of dollars who were able to coach me and say, hey, Jordan, you guys really haven't figured out how to make your sales pipeline predictable, yep. right? Like, and, and, and this is a flaw in your leadership style because of X, Y, or Z. That is... That's tremendously valuable, much more valuable than, uh, you know, kind of self-help and teaching myself things. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. It does. Do you think there's ever a time in our life that we don't need that? Do you think there's a certain age we ever get to where we go? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm 50, so I don't, I don't
1: have to do that anymore. What do you think on that? That's a good question. I don't think so, but I do think the time we spent, uh, taking from others and giving to others in that apprentice mentorship spectrum does change, right? Mm -hmm. I think as you get more masterful at your craft, you obviously still need people in your life who are wiser than you pouring into you, but you're probably spending more time, right? uh, Mentoring others who are 20 years behind you.
0: It's been probably one of the, if I were to boil down all the episodes we've done from some amazing people, the willingness of all of them to share their story, their life, their heart. I remember Dondi Scumacci, a lady, was a phenomenal leader. She was talking about Mark Sanborn. She Mm -hmm. said she wanted to get into writing and wanted to get Mm -hmm. in, and she just sent him a note. Well, he called her, and she was shocked. She's like, I can't believe you would call me. And he said, well, somebody helped me. I want to help you. Now, the deal you got to make is you've got to help somebody else. The funny part was when I had Mark on as a guest, and he'll be coming up later in uh, he'll be coming up in late 2019. When I had Mark on, he hardly remembered the conversation, and the sure. reason was he probably did it
1: for as many people as he could. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'll tell you what, this has happened to me so many times in 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 my career, and I, I think it's because. Again, the world's most masterful people did submit themselves humbly uh, right. to to other mentors. They took advantage of that. They understand the value of it, right? And thus, they they turn it around, right? Give it to others. I'll give a good example of somebody who just told me no to a request that I had, but was so generous in the way he did it. Jim Collins, yep. uh, author of Good to Great, Great by Choice. I've never had a more gracious no, ever, <laughs> Then the, the, the no from Jim. I asked Jim to endorse Master of One, and he sent me this incredibly kind handwritten note and was like, hey, Jordan, I, I just looked it over. This looks like a great book, but I'm slammed. There's no way I could read the whole thing and give an endorsement. I was like, this is Jim Collins. Who am I to get a handwritten note for Jim Collins? Uh, but it was incredible. But but again, masters, masters uh, view themselves as apprenticeships, I think, for a lifetime. And thus, they are... They have great empathy uh, for for others coming up behind them, and are very generous with those coming up behind them.
0: You know, you, you look at where all this began with the apprenticeship, and it began, you know, it began really in the Old Testament. Jesus yeah. picked it up. We called it discipling, right? And there was a reason he did it. And the reason he did it was you catch their heart, you see their life, you emulate it, and then it just multiplies over time. Do you see that as we begin to focus in? And we begin to master things that some of the non-essentials can maybe start falling away from our lives. Do you think that'll help?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So you know, so in the in the book, I outline what I believe is kind of the four steps along the path to mastery. Right. Step one is exploration. I think it's good to experiment widely in your careers, right? Step two is choose, make it, make a choice, commit to something. You can always change your mind in the future, but commit to something to, to master. Step three is eliminate, and then step four is master, which is a continual process. But that elimination stage, elimin- ruthlessly eliminating the non-essential things from your life is really critical. And I think community right? Yeah. Uh, with with mentors and with other people who are on the same path to mastering whatever your vocational thing is, is really, really critical because they could spot blind spots, say, hey, why are you going off and doing this side project right now? This makes absolutely no sense. It isn't in line with where you're going. So yeah, I think that's really, really helpful for spotting and eliminating those non-essential things. If, if someone,
0: Jordan, wants to get in touch with you, they want to order this book for their company, yep. order it for their team, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so the best way to do it is at jordanrainer.com. So uh, we're releasing this episode in January, so I guess I can go ahead and talk about this freely now, even though we haven't officially launched it yet. Uh, We're actually giving away uh, a trip, uh, a European cruise for two people, seven nights. Uh, You're going to go to Europe, you're going to see Spain, Italy, France, then you're going to go to Barcelona to go see the La Sagrada Familia Church, which has been under construction. It's the world's largest church has been under construction for 100 years. And it was designed by Anthony Gaudi, who was a master of one. He's one of the stories that I tell in the book. Uh, He spent uh, decades building some of Barcelona's most famous attractions and then spent the last 12 years of his career focused on one project, wow. building a church that would be so excellent that it would quite literally proclaim the excellencies of God, as First Peter 2.9 says. And so you're going to go on this cruise. You're going to go to Barcelona, see La Sagrada Familia, and then I'm going to meet you in Barcelona, and we're going to have dinner together. Uh, I love Barcelona. I love the food scene in Barcelona. So I'm going to come over, have dinner with you. We'll talk about the book. So yeah, so if you go to jordanrainer.com right now, order the book, you can enter into that sweepstakes. And uh, yeah, would love for somebody to listen to this show to win that.
0: That would be awesome. And maybe they'll remember <laughs> their favorite podcast guy. They heard it from That's that exactly awesome, right. it. That's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. Give all credit to Mike.
0: Of course, of <laughs> course. So so Jordan gets done with his career and you're looking back in the rearview mirror of your life. What do you hope was the thing you mastered the most? The Lord the Lord is looking and we know that the Lord's going to honor us for how we use our gifts and our abilities. What do you hope is said most about Jordan Rayner?
1: So the vocational thing that I hope to excellence is different than the inside question. So I I really see my one thing for the first 10 years of my career and hopefully for the last 50 of my career as entrepreneurship. But what do I hope people say about me at the end of my career? Um, my prayer is that they will say that I was one of many people who inspired a, an entire generation of Christ followers to lean more ambitiously into doing their most exceptional work because they believe it's a means of glorifying God and loving neighbor itself That, that, that's, that's my prayer.
0: I love people that challenge how you think. Jordan is a guy who challenges how you think he pushes you. You know, he's one of those people. When I'd ask a question, the response back was not a pat standard answer, but there was depth to the answers And man, Jordan's just, he's the real deal. I hope you will go out and get the book. Make sure and go on and order that. Follow the link to Amazon. Order that book because it is one, especially if you're in the business community. So many of our listeners, you're in the business world and the tech sector. It it just resonates. It just resonates because he's with you. He's living it out as you live it out. He's just doing it with a heart for Jesus and a bigger mission at mind. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing with us. Our next guest, you are going to love. He has burst on the scene for many of us, known by many others, but burst on the scene for many of us. His name is Sam Collier. You can't turn on something in leadership without running into Sam. His podcast, uh, The Greater Story, is phenomenal. And he said, when your story connects with God's story, it becomes a greater story. He's had some amazing guests, and he is going to blow you away. I can't wait till next time. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Leave a review for us. Uh it helps other people find their way to the podcast. Or uh, man, just thanks for taking the time to join. I know how valuable your time is. So today Go be the leader that you were created to be. Live out the purpose you were created for. And I promise you this, you can live a life of no regrets. Have a great day.